This is Rick Bentley, and you're listening to The Curious Wire. So this is the first time I'm having a conversation with Rick. We did chat just briefly before we hit record. And um, you have a very interesting story. I'm not going to go through the whole story because I don't know if we'll have enough time. But um, let's 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 if you could start with um, the first company that you shared with me where you started and and that story, what it was, and the exit on that. Yeah, in 1998, I started a company called Televoke, and our tagline was connecting people to things. This was. The idea was the internet of things that you're going to get all the devices online. You get information from them and commands to them and, and, and see where they were and, and all that sort of stuff. It, it was early, obviously for IOT. Um, we got uh, money from SoftBank in the dot com boom, millions of dollars, which was great. And after a long fuse, we uh, merged with another entity that merged entity changed its name to Decarta. And that was Decarta was Uber's first acquisition. So I've uh, been through the Silicon Valley ringer and seen it from start to finish. So uh, the way you explained it to me simply is, or I'll, I'll let you explain it, but what was the technology that this company created? Yeah, you wanted to get devices online back then, but most devices, you know, Wi-Fi wasn't a thing yet. Most devices did not have an Ethernet port. And if they did, it, it wouldn't help connect them if they were mobile. So we took a cellular, we took the guts out of a cell phone basically, a, a cellular data-only transceiver. So it wouldn't make phone calls, but it could get data in and out. So you could send commands to it, and you could get notifications from it. And then we coupled that with a GPS receiver, so it knew where it was. It could report its location. And, you know, it, this again, this was 1998. So uh, it ended up being a little bit big, a little bit heavy, need a lot of power, right? So you couldn't track your cat with it. Because if you put on a cat, the battery weight alone would, would keep your cat from going very far, right? It would be uh, a cheat for a tracker if your cat can't get more than 10 feet away with its weight around its neck. So um, cars, on the other hand, are, are very size, weight, and power insensitive. Insensitive, let's call it. You know, that you can put a device in there, and it has a big car battery, and away you go. So we worked with the big alarm companies, uh, Clifford, Directed, uh, Omega, Audiovox, Clarion, and pretty much anyone who had a car alarm, uh, we had a custom web interface for them so they could see where their car was. They could click a button to unlock their car doors. They get a notification. We'd actually call your phone. So again, this was before smartphones. So it was, you could unlock your car with your phone, but it wasn't with your smartphone app. It was press two to unlock your car doors, right? And, um, it, it, it had, it, we ended up uh, doing a lot with maps to show where the car was and to tell people where the car was. You know, it's parked here. Or it's going 80 miles an hour east on the freeway or whatever. And that mapping technology is ultimately what was valuable to Uber in the acquisition. That makes sense why that would be valuable to Uber. So what's so intriguing about your story is that there's so many technologies that are like part of our life, but there was a time before they happened and, and they had to be created. And then there's, there's even things that are happening before our eyes that we might not even realize or identify what it is. So for example, I'm not such a techie person, but I would, I would guess that the technology of Siri, nobody was talking about that as AI. Now everybody's talking about chat GBT and, and 
AI, but Siri, I would guess is like the, is AI totally. And, um, it's, it's machine intelligence. It responds differently to different queries, but nobody was talking about that in the sense of that being AI. Yeah. You know, we can go back even farther. I can make an argument that the venerable thermostat is artificial intelligence. It has two intelligent thoughts. It's not warm enough in here and it is warm enough in here. Right. Oh, it's <laughs> and it, too warm. it does things, <laughs> right? Yeah. It does things accordingly. Right. <laughs> and that's, Hey, to someone who had to shovel coal to keep a castle warm 500 years ago, that's AI. That's magic. Today yeah. we take it for granted. Yeah. So, so it's really cool when you, and at least for me, especially not being a tech person, like when you break down something simple and then you understand it, and then how can it be applied in other places? So not to go through your whole career. So you have this successful business, it gets acquired, then you take some time off and then, and correct me if I'm wrong, then you join Google. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was first working for uh, Andy Grove, the uh, founder of, or not founder, but one of the first few people at Intel and their chairman and CEO for a couple of decades, I think. Uh, this was after he retired from Intel. Uh, he had Parkinson's disease and my dad had Parkinson's disease. Uh, they're kind of in similar disease progression stages. But unlike my dad, Andy had a lot of money to, to throw at it, right? So I worked with him on that and it was a very, very interesting journey um, being managed by the founder of, of OKRs, right? Um, le- learned a lot from him, but I, I parlayed that experience into uh, Google, where they were working on um, in the Google X division, which is kind of their advanced research division. They were working on wearables like the Apple Watch, but for clinical trials. And so I was trying to, I was getting that. I wasn't trying. I did get that into a bunch of different clinical trials for Parkinson's disease, which uh, worked out pretty well. And so th- then that led into you working for Google? Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So. When I was at Google, we were working on the wearable, and I got them to a bunch of clinical trials for Parkinson's. Okay, you're explaining that. Okay, so then how did that? Yeah. So then, what happened from there? Well, it was interesting. Um, you know, Google does has a lot of data, right? And they're experts at monetizing it. And one of the things they need for all that is machine learning. And um, machine learning is uh, a way to make AI. Uh, that works really well. So let's talk about two different types of AI real quick. Um, as an example, you have like artisanal AI, which is, hey, I want to use uh, computer vision to detect a car. So when a car comes in the driveway, I want to know about it. Okay, well, you're going to have to teach the computer what a car looks like. And that is a very difficult process. Uh, you kind of start out with, well, there's these round black things at the bottom called wheels. And cars are kind of shiny and they're sort of rounded on top. And there's kind of glass around the top for most of them, except for vans. And the, the lights on the front are sometimes white and the back sometimes red and the sides sometimes yellow. And you get to a very difficult challenge to try to explain to a computer what a car looks like. And not surprisingly, you don't do a very good job. You're not a computer. It's not a human. It's just hard, right? So, uh, that's, that'd be like artisanal. Artificial intelligence, right? An artist, an artesian, an artist does it himself with great effort. Um, machine learning, artificial intelligence, like chat, GPT and others. Um, for in the example of computer vision, you just tell the computer, look, here's 10,000 pictures of cars. And also 
here's 50,000 pictures that aren't cars, but could be confusing. They're boats and fire hydrants and mailboxes, but those aren't cars. And after you do that with the right machine learning platform, the computer now can detect a car better than you could ever explain it to it, right? You could never go through mm -hmm. such a description of what a car looks like that you can do a better job than machine learning can. So machine learning just does a better job at creating artificial intelligence. And um, Google, when I was there in 2015, gave away their machine learning platform. It's called TensorFlow. And they just open sourced it. And, you know, on Monday, I was trying to sell that to big biotech companies for $100 million. And on Friday, it was free. I said, cool, I'm going to quit and use this new tool at that computer startup, I've been, that video surveillance computer vision startup I've been working on for a while. And so I did. That's really cool. You know, as you're, as you're, you're talking and, and hearing this, or as I'm hearing this, you know, thinking of, so we haven't even talked about what your company is and what you're doing. The ideas of, of, so I'll give you a few moments to go ahead and, and, and say what your company is, and then we'll go back to the tech comp talk. So what is your title and what is your company and what do you actually do? <laughs> yeah, my name is Rick Bentley. I'm CEO and founder of Clouder Structure. And what we do is we take video surveillance, we push it into the cloud, and we use it to help you manage that physical infrastructure there, right? And so in this case, uh, we have all this video surveillance data coming in from all the cameras. And the first thing we do is we look at it all with computers. So we detect humans. When we detect a human, we see we detect a face. If we detect a face, we try and recognize that face. Hey, that's Rick. Uh, that's Whitney. That's Moshi. That's whomever, right? And um, then we can do things like, well, that person was caught spray painting here and has been trespassed. Let us know if they come back again. Um, or uh, we want to know if there's someone in the lobby after 10 p.m. Um, and pretty quickly, you can get really fatigued with alerts like someone in the lobby after 10 p.m. So we think it's really the handoff between artificial intelligence and human intelligence that makes a difference in a smart system. So what we'll do is we'll say, hey, there's someone there in the lobby after 10 p.m., and then a human will actually look at that video. So they don't have to watch all the cameras all the time. Just when the AI decides, hey, there's something going on here, like a human judgment call on this, that's when the humans come in. And uh, then those humans can do a talk down over uh, a network speaker and say, hi, the lobby is currently closed. Um, we're at, you know, uh, if you're not a resident here, please leave or, or whatever it is, right. Might be more aggressive if they're trying to break into a box or smashing a window or something. Right. Um, but what we find is that when people realize they're actually being identified and it's not an automated system, there's a human at the other end. Uh, we have yet to have someone ignore the orders from a guard on a talk down. We know it's coming at some point, but so far, every time people would just rather leave and go cause trouble somewhere else than being told, yes, you in the blue shirt. You're on video. We're dispatching the police. You need to leave right away, right? Uh, they they have they have always left. Yeah. So, um, sorry, there was a thought before when you were talking about teaching machines how to identify cars. Now the computers are teaching us or testing us to identify cars <laughs> with the captcha, like you know, click all the images with a vehicle in it, and sometimes we fail that. Um, Google Google uses that to train their stuff. Okay. So it's free training. We're we're free monkeys when when and, we do that, right? 
It just advancing there. Okay, cool. Interesting. Yeah. So, so let's put security for to the side for a moment. So, uh, simply use case in, in multifamily. One, I believe every leasing office should have a camera because things could go down and happen in a leasing office, and that should just be captured in a video. But looking at it from an AI and a data perspective, you could be tracking all this data of of activity that happens in an office. So let's say a, a, a company is trying to think about adjusting their their business hours. Um, let's you know some companies or offices are open seven days a week. Um, some are six days a week, whatever it might be, and what those hours are. But now, not just providing security, but you could actually come to them and say, "Hey, in six months." over the last six months or even 12 months, like here's all this data of how many people, when are your busy times? Do people even come to the office on Sundays or Saturdays, you know, so that a company could assess, should we be closing on Sunday? You know, what are we losing out on? And then it's like, well, you know, in the last 12 months, we've had five tours on a Sunday or we've had a total of 50 people come to the whole office, like that averaging one, like, so you could have, actual data to make that decision versus just a gut feeling or just saying, Oh, what do the comps do? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that data is available in our system now with a little bit of digging, right? You'd have to say, Hey, show me these cameras, show me all the humans on those cameras. This could be a camera in the leasing office, for example, or at the, at the entrance to it where someone would knock to see if they could come in. Um, and just see how many humans are there as a function of time, right? Or how many times a human is detected. We don't have that broken down into, um, you know, hey, these are the days you should be open yet type of information. But we can't capture all the all the raw data. Uh, I think we need to, we I think we need to let things bake a little bit as we upload all this data and then find out what the uh, the property management companies are looking for. And, and, and then help extract that out and provide it more in a dashboard interface, right? I'm not sure we know what that is right yet, but I, I, I love your idea of the leasing office. I think it's a fantastic one. Well, it just, it, there's, there's always a person's feeling and then their perception and then, you know, data <laughs> yeah. and then reality. So, you know, I yeah. just saw this morning someone uh, share a study about, you know, more than 60% of people saying that having pets is, is, is a high priority. If I run a, a report on our portfolio, it, it's less than half that are, are actually have pets. Um, and then when you look at a much larger data set, I, I would, I would be surprised if more than half, yes, you could have certain areas that have more animals and then, than others, but, uh, I'm, I'm very skeptical that more than half of residents want to have pets. In fact, there was a, a local uh, builder and operator where they were building a stage two to one of their properties, and they told me that they were exploring doing it pet-free. And I did a survey online on, on LinkedIn, and there was a lot of people who were very upset. Oh, you can never do that. And all these people want pets, and they 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 did it. They're pet-free. Obviously, if someone has a service animal, they can't prevent that. But if it's not a service animal, um, it's pet-free, and people want to have a place where actually it, it was very wildly successful. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. I think some people don't like pets, right? <laughs> for them to have a, are, an oasis yeah. to go to, right? You know, for, I think for a lot of other people though, even if you don't have a pet, well, my mom's getting up there in age and I promised her I'd take care of mittens when she dies and I can't take this place, but even though I don't have a pet right now, cause I, the promise I made to my mom, but who knows, right? I, it, I think there's going to be a bifurcated camp on pets, 
with the computer vision, one thing we can do is you can just type in animal or cat or dog or whatever and see all the video with dogs in it. And you can see who's walking them. Yeah. And pretty quickly, you can figure out if people got pets where they're not supposed to. It's Correct. pretty easy when you don't have to look at all the video all the time, but you can just ask the computer to show you the parts you're interested in. Right. I, and, and, and the part that I was getting at, you know, not, yes, that's a good use case of, of, of finding the dog walkers that don't have registered dogs. But, you know, we could feel that it's important that the fitness center is open 24 hours. And then we could actually, now with you, you could actually look at the data and show like how many people actually are benefiting from that 24 hour. Can we cut it back? Um, you know, the pool hours, when, when are people actually using the pool? Should we be extending pool hours? Should we be shortening? Should we be just adjusting mm-hmm. them? And, you know, whenever I see these, these data points put out there and like quickly, like I contrast it to our portfolio and yes, it, it's different when you're looking on a larger scale and a smaller scale, but it, it, it indicates to me whether that is and and even if it's totally off, then that means there are going to be other smaller portfolios or submarkets that are totally off than this macro data points that people might be using. And you know, the, our our business is very nuanced. You know, y- y- people will look at us as as the multifamily industry, but you have senior housing, you have student housing, two completely different worlds, right? Very different. You have yes. affordable, you have market, very different. Class A, Class B, Class C, these are all very different nuances um you know there's a lot of the curse word of centralization and everybody has a different meaning to it (laughs) and and you know we've been doing a lot of stuff that people would call a centralization but a lot of the centralization that people talk about are removing people from leasing and having people do this on their own whether i you know agree or disagree with that but then i have a very different view if you're talking about a a portfolio of of very small properties so our properties are, are generally uh, the average one is 400 units or so, but there are companies where their niche is much smaller comp- uh, properties. So they could have 10 properties that have in a in a five mile radius and it's less than 50 units per property. So the approach to that, it should be very different than a property with 400 units. So, yeah. so people will talk in these generalizations. They're not taking in, in consideration all these different variables and the different nuances. And then you have somebody like you in a platform like yours where you could actually collect real data of, of what's happening to debunk myths or misleading gut feelings. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and get it, again, AI is great. It can also be really wrong sometimes. I think we've seen that with chat GBT and some others, right? And so give that human back in the loop to make the judgment call of, yeah, what's appropriate for class C is not appropriate for class A, right? Uh, what's appropriate for the, the big management companies is, is not the same for the, the, the four unit townhouses. Um, and so, uh, again, we're really, we really like the space where AI meets the human intelligence and, and figure out, figure out where that handoff should be. But you're absolutely right. There's, it, it's a, it's a big, diverse, diverse space and you got to be able to, um, provide tools to people to make intelligent decisions, uh, data. It, it, you can't make those decisions for them most of the time. So every day must be uh, very exciting as you are taking in all this data and, and trying to figure out what do we do with this? What do we need to do differently? You know, but at the same time, not reacting too quickly because you need to take time to actually digest all of it or collect more of it. Yeah. You know, it's the immediately actionable stuff is, is kind of the hot thing for us right now with things like, um, 
there's people in the pool area after 10 p.m., which the units right by the pool are woken up and they don't like that, right? But also, um, you know, how many times do you have to stop drinking in the pool after hours uh, before there's a very serious accident, right? You know, where someone ends up face down in the pool for too long or something. And then you've got a real liability issue um, that could make or break your entire business. And so um, those sort of calls are made by humans who are fed the data by the computers, right? So um, they make sure when they get alert, there's someone to pull after 10 p.m., they make sure it's not a maintenance guy or someone walking their dog past the gate. There's actually people in the pool. And then they'll talk down over the speakers and say, hey, you, uh, pool is now closed. You, you need to leave, right? And um, that gives our, a lot of our customers really great comfort that someone's on the job uh, in real time uh, all hours of the day to make sure their, their places run appropriately and safely. Uh, as we wrap up here, you know, you were talking about your your first startup where you created this technology that allowed uh, smart uh, well before smartphones, but phones to you know give off their location, receive information, give off notifications, and today that's like so part of our normal life that we don't even think of the technology here. And so you're a video surveillance, but literally as we're talking, if you're applying the same concept where you have a camera that's able to visually capture what's going on in a certain space. So I would imagine you could have similar technology where it's not just capturing a visual thing, but it could detect other things. So, you know, in our area, there was a a property that, that had a fire. So smoke detectors just signal the people inside that there's, there's smoke, but it doesn't, doesn't do anything for alerting someone to actually come in and put out the fire. So if you have technology that I, I would think, that could be similar that could actually detect the smoke could detect something else. And then just like your video is alerting a human to now step in and make a decision, it could sense sm- smoke or something like that. That can alert. I, I think that again, like you're a video surveillance oh, yeah. and here we're talking about fire safety. Yeah, for sure. So I, you know, two ways to do that. The, the IOT way that, you know, I kind of helped pioneer back uh, in the late nineties with Televoke um, that became Jakarta. Uh, that would be, hey, we detect smoke, we detect fire. Um, uh, there's water in the basement, right? Um, you know, whatever it is. Um, and then the other one is, you know, cameras can kind of see smoke and they can kind of see fire in, in the right circumstances. It's one of those things where you can have lots of false positives for that, where a human has to go and look and go, oh, that's not smoke, that's fog or something, right? Uh, but you can't have any false negatives. You can't say, yeah, my, these cameras can detect smoke and fire and then, and then not do that. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you're right. going to have to have a, yes, a, a, a okay. hundred times someone's going to have to take a look at fog instead of smoke to make sure that one time you don't miss the actual smoke. Right. Correct. No, I understand the, the, the point there and the liability, but I just, w- w- yeah. what was been is very intriguing to me in this conversation is, is again, when you take technology and then you, and a lot of it, like, that just seems part of our, that we don't even think about like what it is, but then when you apply it to something else, how can it be beneficial? And that's, you, you built your business taking uh, what, what Google was giving away for free. Um, you now turn that into a business. So that's very cool. And so then I'm just using, I'm just jumping on that and saying, Hey, what, what taking that similar technology, what other benefits are there versus just looking at it? Oh yeah. Actually. You're right on it. And, and the fact of the matter is, we're, from where we're sitting today, we don't even know. I mean, 
again, 500 years ago, the thermostat would have been magic to someone, right? And that now it's just old and dumb, too. right? Yeah. <laughs> well, now they're smart. Yeah. <laughs> but an old one was magic to someone at some point, right? Um, you know, I, we can make guesses from where we're at, what the next hot thing is going to be. I think most of the time we'll be wrong. But every now and then we'll get it right. And um, something really neat will come out of that. Yes. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty cool to, to, you know, meet you and, and, and talk to you. And, you know, you talk to, to, to folks who are building something and, um, there's just a different vibe when you're talking to someone who's, who's already done it successfully at, uh, at least once. So, um, it was an honor to have you and, uh, thanks for, for, for sharing and, and having this curious conversation. It was an honor to be here. Thanks for the time. I really enjoyed it. Bye.